0: You're listening to Robertson and Adol Kazilski. Indeed you are Shavuot Tov to everybody out there in Chai FM land and far beyond Chai FM land to all those that tune in from all over the world. Welcome to Chai FM to Soul to Soul. Top of the week, we are learning Torah. We are learning the five books of Moses. We are specifically learning the book of Genesis, and the parsha of Noah, the parsha where we know that the world gets destroyed and rebooted, started up again by a second Adam, a second man, by the name of Noah and his sons. And uh, we are going in verse by verse looking at what the Torah is telling us, and of course always deriving and learning moral, ethical lessons on understanding what God really wants from us and uh, why the events that happened in the time of Noah happened. The, The flood, by the way, happened in the Jewish year, 1656, um uh, that was probably about 2,200 years before the Common Era. And uh, the story actually, even though we kind of like glaze through it and, uh, you know, maybe even speak an hour on it in High FM, actually took 120 years to happen from the time that uh, Noach gets the instruction to build an ark, and until the flood actually happens, is 120 years. So we have a type of time, uh, you know, condensation over here. We, the time really gets uh, um, tight, tightly, tightly vacuum packed um, into a couple of verses. But nevertheless, um, really, really interesting stuff. Last week we just spoke about the man Noah. The various attributes that Noah had And as a a revision we just learned that Noah had the qualities of righteousness That he did what was right in the eyes of God And not what was right in the eyes of man And that really is what stood out In making Noah a, a, a viable candidate To save the world We are going to hop in now into uh, chapter six of the book of Genesis. If anybody's following with a Tanakh, with a Bible, chapter six, and we're going to look at verse ten, that now um, describes once again because it was described before the sons of Noah. It says as follows: Va'yoled Noah. Noah gave birth, Shlosha banim to three sons: Et Shem, Et Cham, Ve'Et Yafet. Shem, Cham, and Yafet. And we're going to go back and just actually understand particularly two of, of the brothers because they play a very, very significant role um, in Jewish history and up to today, uh, we are the Jewish people particularly are the descendants of shame. We need to understand that a little bit more. But let's continue on the verses that we are going to be looking at. So, Noach had three, three sons, Shem, cham, and ha'elokim. The earth now became corrupt before God. And how did it become corrupt? Vatimale Haaret chamas. The earth was filled with robbery. Okay. Vayar Elokim et haaret God looked at this land. Ve'hine nishchata. And he he looked he, he he saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupted. Ki Kobasar ko basar et Darko. Al Haaretz because um, all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. God says to Noach, Kobasar Ba the end of all flesh has come Lefanai before me ha'aretz because this earth is filled with robbery. Hamas um, through them Vehinni Mashkitam eta haaretz, and behold I am about to destroy them from the earth. So you can just imagine God sitting there looking down on planet Earth and just seeing corruption. And it seems that the main corruption was through robbery, interestingly, even though we are told that there was a lot of immorality at the time. There was a lot of um, sexual activity between human beings and animals. In fact, the world had actually reached a very, very low point and uh, just was an absolute mess. And God beholds all of this, and he he go, comes back to Nach and he says, well, this is the end. Um, I can see I visualize, I'm able to, to see what is going on down below, and it is time to uh, destroy the world. And you, Noah, are going to be the one who is going to save what I have created and restart a, another, a, 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 another world, essentially, altogether. So let's just start back first in the mentioning of uh, Noah's three sons as we said before um Shem, Ham and Yafet were their names now the first interesting thing is is that if you do go back into the previous chapters you will see that uh, first of all these were his only children and the Ramban Nachmanides brings out that he had no daughters. He only had, uh, three sons. And of course, when they go into the ark, these three sons, uh, have wives. So in fact, in terms of saving humanity, there were eight adults that got saved. It was Noah and his wife, Shem, Cham, and Yafet, and their wives that went onto, uh, the ark. So there were eight human beings that, uh, that, that were saved. One of the interesting things is that even though they were mentioned before previously, they're mentioned again because it comes on the heels of the fact that it says Eta Elokim Hitalech Noach, that that Noach walked in the ways of God, and here it comes to teach us that just as Noach served God, um, he inculcated this training, this education. Into his sons And his sons were Righteous as well What we are going to do After the break is that We are going to really discuss An interesting thing because whenever the Torah Talks about the sons They read it by Shem, Ham and Yafet Shem, Ham and Yafet In that order But Yafet was in fact the eldest um, And there has got to be A difference In why there is the, the the reversal One One explanation um, Says that it was not Because of their chronological age That they are mentioned as such But because they had sharply Differing personalities um, And each person Had the ability Each son had the ability to understand Concepts and natures Of concepts or things And you know See it in a specific way, and this really is a clue as to why the names are being reversed. Of course, at all times, I welcome dialogue. Love to hear from you if you have a comment, if you have a question on our subject matter. The SMS number is three four five one nine. Our WhatsApp is oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we are studying verse uh, chapter 6, verses 10 to 13 of the book of Genesis, and we are trying to understand what the Torah is actually teaching us in the couple of verses that the show was introduced by, namely that we've got the three sons of Noah, given names, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. And the fact that God looked down onto this world and saw just massive corruption, a lot of robbery, and due to that robbery, God says, I am going to destroy this world. So I'd like to spend um, some time with you discussing two aspects. Number one, the names of Noah's sons. So... As we said before, Yafet was the eldest of the sons, um, but it seems that whenever the Torah talks about the sons, shame comes first. Um, So let's just really understand there is a quite a huge uh, relationship um, between shame and Yafet, okay? Um, Particularly, Cham kind of like falls off the, the, the boat, so to speak, um, he lands up being cursed when he comes off the ark. A subject for another uh, hour on Chayefim, but let's leave Ham out of it right now, so that we can just discuss the relationship between shame and Yafet. Very interestingly, it says that shame had the the the, the prowess of of holiness and of divine presence, and understood God very, very succinctly. In fact, we know that after the flood, he established the yeshiva of shame and ever, and we know that Abraham learned there, that Yaakov passed by there before he went out to Lavan, that Rivka went there when she had to inquire about the twins in her stomach, um, she went for divine counseling there. The yeshiva of shame, Vever, ever, shame himself, um, the son of Noah perpetuated a life of holiness, a life of, of, of intellectualism, a life of um, learning Torah. And it says that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, rested on shame. And that is very much why when you follow the lineage down from shame and his children, you will land up by Avraham. So shame really is the great, 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 great-great-great-great-great-grandfather uh, of the Jewish people. But when um Noah was blessing his kids, he said, May God extend the boundaries of Yafet, but he will dwell in the tents of shame. So it seems that there is... Actually, a, a correlation between shame and Yafet. So who is Yafet? Well, the first clue that one can really understand who Yafet was is by, is by understanding the, the source of the name. And the source of the name is Yafet, that he was beautiful. And, uh, we are taught that the spirit of Yafet, um, Yafet, uh, was blessed with beauty and with sensitivity. And when the nations grew from Shem, Ham, and Yafet, Yafet really gave birth. The, the blessing of Yafet took roots essentially in Yavan, in Greece. Okay. While Shem, as we said, um, became part of the Jewish people. So Yafet as, as exemplified in in greek culture became the primary expression on earth as the person of arts the spiritual ancestor of drama of poetry of music sculpture sports philosophy etc 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 and these were given as a gift to Yafet, and Yafet created an entire nation from 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 him Primarily the nation of that that we know as the Greek Empire, but certainly, you know, it followed through then into to modern times. Um, we are told by Rashi that uh, that the Greek language was one of the most beautiful of tongues. And that is why very interesting, much, much later, um, the rabbis gave permission to translate the five books of Moses into Greek um because that was used a, a lot um, in, in those times. Now, why is there this relationship between shame and Japheth? What, what can we learn from it, and what can we understand from it? So we know that throughout history, many, many sages, all the, going all the way back to King Solomon, um, through the Rambam Maimonides to the Vilna Gaon um, um in 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 the last century many many of our jewish sages knew the sciences and they landed up getting positions um, pos- positions in in government um in the palaces of kings as doctors as astronomers as 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 people who could advise the king on many many things because they had a knowledge, let's say, let's um, package it as that they had a secular knowledge. They understood um, maths and philosophy, and they they understood all of these things, and they used it in in leading not only the Jewish people but the Gentile world as well by being advisors to 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 the kings. Um, and and the various uh, Gentile rulers um, that were around. Now, our rabbis come and teach us that it is not a negative thing that one understands or one has an appreciation for or one teaches poetry, music, sculpture, sports, philosophy, um, drama, maths, science. Any, any of the what we would label today in modern uh, language as secular subjects. Because each and every one of these subjects are a manifestation, are an explanation, are a way in which we understand the world and, and, and the way we, we interact with the world. If we did not Allow ourselves to understand Maths and science for example Our world would not Technologically be in the place That it is today Um, And all we are doing is we are taking Those sciences and Using them hopefully Most times for the betterment Of this world But somehow there seems to have been A divergence between Yafet and shame Shame managed to maintain this, it's his spiritual identity that he passed on down to Abraham, and then Abraham onwards onto the Jewish people. Um, and Japheth, um kind of like sort of came short um, in 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 terms of what it had to offer to the world. And the answer that we understand is that all of the subjects, the secular subjects that are out there, that Give an insight into how the world is or an expression of how the world functions is not bad in and of itself. The problem that comes in is when we take the secular subjects and we use them as a vehicle to A. ignore the divine, B. manipulate the divine or or see or, or where we actually take the subjects and we start worshipping them. And this is really what actually happened in the time of the Greek Empire. We all know the story that the Greek Empire was very, very dominant during the time of the first temple. Um, and... Uh, and one of the, one of the ways that the Greek tried to influence the Jewish people was to say to them, look, we're not coming to kill you. We're not putting you in ghettos or extermination camps. We don't even want to exile you. All we want is for you to throw off the shackles of your Judaism and embrace our world, our world of, of sculpture and poetry and music and architecture and all of those things. And then we'll be happy to live with you. Side by side um, That was during the reign of Antiochus And the Syrian Greeks And um, We know very well The story of Hanukkah That they eventually They didn't get their way And they eventually decided to war Against the Jewish people And destroy the temple And um, in fact they they did They plundered the temple And it was then that we had The miracle of Hanukkah When um Jews went back into the temple and found just one cruise oil, one vial of oil that would last a day, that lasted eight days. And really, the, the festival of Hanukkah is a festival of light, um, which is um, indicative of the fact that light is representative of enlightenment, it's representative of education, um, it is representative of, of clearing out the darkness and the lights of Hanukkah come to teach us that um the words of Torah and the 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 subscription to the 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 framework that Torah wants is what is illuminating in this world, not just the study of the physical world as the Greeks would have it and in fact you know time time is proof of of much, and now that we we, we look today, you can see that the Greek Empire has been relegated just to a, a a country that is pretty poor that has a lot of um relics for anybody who's been to Greece and is now something way of the past whereas Judaism is still very much alive what was Wrong with the way of the thinking of the Greeks and, and it's their forefather Yafet was that there is incredible beauty in this world. Torah certainly does not deny this incredible beauty. There's an incredible, um, uh, brilliance in this world The way the world, world functions But if one is to learn the maths the, 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 or, or the science Or the whatever it is of, of the physical world One needs to learn it In order to serve God better To use it as a vehicle To serve God better As opposed to be using it As a vehicle in and of itself And this was the mistake Of the Greeks they worshipped the body. They worshipped the music and the arts and the drama. That's, those were their gods. We speak a lot about Greek gods. There was a lot of Avodazara. There was a lot of idol worship because the service of these things led them to negate, to completely destroy any idea of a god in this world. And they, 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 so to speak, created their own culture, their own religion around that which is Physical in this world, so from a Judaic point of view, we do not deny um, any of the, the the cultural things that are around. The question is, do we use them in the service of God? Does it give us a greater appreciation of God and our service of God, or does it take us away from that? If it does, we are landing up like the Greeks. Um, making the service in and of itself And that is um, Unbelievably destructive Very interestingly um, When the Greeks Were trying to con- to convert The Jews They actually um, Hit upon three commandments Which became their prime targets Which they did not want the Jews To keep um, And it's interesting why they actually chose those three The three were uh, Shabbat they forbade the, the keeping of the Sabbath, they forbade um, the obligation to bless the new moon, and they forbade circumcision. Now, just for a few minutes, I want to spend some time discussing why would they have gone for those three mitzvot? Why didn't they say to the Jews, well, don't keep kosher or, you know, um, any other of of the 613 mitzvot? Why did they attack These three commandments as their primary targets Well, let's look at these three commandments a little more carefully And we'll actually understand that by destroying these three commandments They were destroying much more in its wake The Shabbat, as we know, is the eternal witness of the existence of God as a creator We know, we learned um, previously that God created Yesh me'ayin, something from nothing and God is the eternal creator and he, we could actually call him the continuous resuscitator of, of the universe. We know that God's Torah is the blueprint and the formula for existence and the purpose of creation. What the Greeks were trying to do was for us to deny God, to say God has got absolutely nothing to do with this world. We need to worship that which we see. The body, we need to worship its beauty and its elegance and its stature. And so if they did not try to take Shabbos away from us, where we are standing witness to the fact that God... Uh, God created the world If they could take that away from us Then their entire philosophy Would stand straight and it was particularly Antiochus who uh, Wanted to be looked upon As a God so they Went and said one of the things that Needs to be scrapped from Jewish culture is The Shabbat because the Shabbat is the witness that God is the creator of this world, Yeshem Ein something from nothing, and it bears witness to God. So as soon as you take a God out of the picture, then life kind of becomes less complicated. Um, so that 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 was something that they very much focused on. Interestingly, the new moon, um, we have a mitzvah that uh, we bless the new moon. In fact, we just did this. This Shabbat in Shul, Um, it's called Shabbat Mivarachim, the the Shabbat of blessing, where we bless and we announce that this coming week there is a new moon and hence a new month. Now, why would the Greeks say that is a mitzvah that you are definitely, categorically, not allowed to keep? um, Because they were, you know, trying to get us to convince us to to embrace um, Greek culture. So the new moon. Is a symbol. It is a way that we show man's obligation to instill holiness into time, because what time is a symbol of nature's tyranny over man. Okay, time, time, time holds us very, very strong. Time runs um, and cannot be stopped by anybody. When the Sanhedrin, when the Jewish court. Proclaimed, Mekudash, Ahodesh, Mekudash, the new moon is sanctified, it is sanctified. Um, and, And they, they said that what happened was all the festivals, all the festivals, the time between God and man entered into the calendar. And what it did is it sanctified time, that time now became a vehicle that we use in the service of God. If we have absolutely no regard for time, Time is a master over us. Time waits for no one. But when we actually sanctify time, which means that we enter the calendar and raise it from instead of a, a record of material pursuits, but to a vehicle of holiness and we use time to um, accelerate our growth, enhance our understanding We are then being connected to God. Antiochus and his culture was not so absolute. They would, they didn't want that we, that, that a person be focused on using their time effectively in the service of God. Time was there just as just stum that it was there and it was used in the self, um, self ego fulfilling subjective, um, need just to have fun and to, to use time In whichever way they wanted to, not in which time God said we should use time. And so that's why they attacked the mitzvah of the new moon. And finally, they attacked the mitzvah of circumcision. And this is a declaration when we do a Brit Miller that the physical and the spiritual are intertwined. That the physical world is not separate from and independent of the spiritual. That the body must bear a mark of allegiance to God's covenant, and that's what the restraining mark of the of the Brit Miller um, was. And again, this was in defiance of the Greek culture, and that's why the Greek. The Greeks, Antiochus in particular, wanted it removed Because by us performing a Brit Miller We are saying that the body is a vehicle to serve the spiritual The Greeks were saying the body is a vehicle in and of itself That we can aggrandize and that we can bow down to And that we can worship And so they went against all three of these three mitzvot Shabbat where we bear witness to God. Rosh Chodesh, where we bear witness to time and the machinations of of our lives and we try and make that in service of God. And then our Brit Miller, where we pay credence to the fact that the body is in fact a holy um, object that needs to be used in service of God and not in service of anything else. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and uh, we are discussing Noah's two sons, Shem and Yafet. If you have any comments, please uh, join the conversation on three four five one nine, or on the WhatsApp oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine. Just to end off our conversation about Shem and Yafet, basically the Greeks were looking for a world without a creator, a calendar without holiness. And a body without restraint. And that is where the wheels fell off. And that became the divergent opinions of, uh, of the world where, and, and, and something that we look at today. We either can live and dwell in a world where we, um, are subservient to, uh, the physical world, to to the world of the body, to the world of fashion, to the world of status, to the world, world of money, to the world of everything physical and, and, and in a sense um, behave in an idolatrous fashion negating God, negating the holiness of time, negating the holiness of the body, negating the holiness of Torah altogether altogether. Or we choose to jump onto the other side of the fence where we are in service of God and we are using everything around us in service of God. And this is really the challenge of uh, the Jewish people in particular, but a, a challenge that has to be spread out to the entire world. God gave us this magnificent world and it's not for us to corrupt it. It's not for us to, 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 to use it badly, but to use it as a vehicle of making it a dwelling place for God in this world and making it a much, much holier place where everybody recognizes the the um presence of God in this world. So shame and Yafet, the tension of shame and Yafet existed then and it exists now. I then want to discuss this whole idea of robbery. You know, there's so many negative things that can happen um in in in, in the world and, and that do happen in this world. Why was God so To speak in inverted commas Hung up that the earth Had been corrupt and it was Filled with robbery it said a couple of Times if I'll reread the English Verses again the earth had become Corrupt before God the earth was filled With robbery and God saw the earth And behold it was corrupted all flesh Was corrupted upon the earth and God said to Noah the end of all flesh Has come before me the earth is Filled with robbery through them and I Am about to destroy them from The earth come on Robbery? You're going to disturb uh, You know, kill the world for robbery? What about murder? What about the, 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 the um, Sexual infractions that were happening at the time? This world was pretty much a very bad world at the time Why state the sin of robbery As the primary reason for <clears throat> destroying this world? So our rabbis discuss at length the word Hamas, um, robbery, and uh, it's explained that when a person is a robber, when a person goes out and robs another person, it represents really an unpardonable low in human behavior. Why? Because it shows man as a selfish being that is concerned with himself alone, not only is he concerned with himself alone, but he's concerned, um, he's concerned with himself alone, um, at the expense of another person. Because by definition, when one engages in robbery, It's not merely one's primary interest that is the satisfaction of the person who's taking it, but the robber gratifies his own lust by taking from another. So if you look at a robber, his life is a series of taking, stealing, and looting. And another human being has to suffer because of the interest of this robber's self-gratification. So the rabbis teach that God God had tolerated... A lot of the most grievous sins, okay? But as long as human beings were loyal one to another, God was considerate of that. And He didn't punish as, as, as profoundly as He did when there was robbery. And the reason why is that once two human beings turn around and they feast on one another they the word is actually not feast they um like they eat from one another the other's possession this shows a complete disregard for another human being and that's a line that once you cross it there's like no going back there's complete destruction. Can there be times where a, a human being will not recognize God? Yes, it's a hard thing to recognize because God is not physical. It's not what you see. You've got to come to an understanding. And, and, and at times we are put in challenging situations and you know it's hard for us to find God. Nevertheless, if we have regard for somebody next to us, for them themselves, for their possessions, for their belongings, we still have a sense of very uh, of, of a fundamental morality amongst people um, For anybody who has had the unfortunate situation of being robbed it 's not only the items that have been taken uh, from from us. It's about the infiltration into your private space and the complete disregard of that person um, that does not know any boundaries. And it is a very, very deep um, place of corruption, of absolute corruption, because we know the famous adage that you should not do unto others what. You know, wouldn't others to do unto you? That at the end of the day, when we've lost complete respect one for another, um, it's very, very difficult to change the clock back. Of course, um, the world is in a mess. The world is exactly the way it was in the time of Noah, where we see many, many times that people behave the way that The people in the time of the flood behaved That there is robbery And it's not only just physical robbery There's emotional robbery There's psychological robbery When a person Loses that boundary Of knowing that each and every human being Is a being Made in the image of God And deserves respect And has boundaries within them When we break that down We break down society Into an irretrievable mess um, today we fight that that concept very, very, very fiercely When God looked upon the world in the time of Noah, The entire world was saturated with a complete disregard For the sanctity of life and the sanctity of another human being's space And so when it came to all the various sins The one that God saw as the major one As the most important one was robbery. Once that type of behavior infiltrated into society, then society became, became helpless and could not, God did not want to and could not save it. You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Welcome back and we're going to be tying up what we've learned today. We just spoke before the break about how decadent robbery is. When we um, have no regard for the boundaries and the sanctity of each each human being, and really, ultimately, um, the way it's interesting—the way God saves the earth. How does He save the, the 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 eight human beings that He does? He commands them to build an ark. Now, the 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 flood came to wipe out all this immorality, all this decadence, all this robbery. And what was interesting was that the human beings that were placed into the ark, Noah and his family, this confined space forced them to come together, and it imposed upon them the need to be very, very selfless. Um, they did not have any free moments for self-indulgence. We know that um, that Noah and his sons worked tirelessly Day in, day out, night in, night, night out, for the entire uh, duration of the flood and for waiting, uh, waiting for the waters to subside, they had to have total care and maintenance of the ark and all the responsibilities. We actually, we are told, um, on by the Midrash that, uh, that Noah was crippled by a blow from an, a lion who was angry at him, um and so life was pretty difficult, but what God was doing was very interesting. He was saying in order to create a new world, we need to go, we need to switch from selfish to selfless. And it was imposed upon them that they could not go and say, you know, today I'm really tired. I'm not rocking up for work. You know, I'm going to take a deck chair and sit outside and enjoy the sun. They worked unbelievably hard, and they were taken to 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 task. Nor and his sons for not showing sufficient concern for the people that they had left behind, and the way that God inculcated that into them is that He made the ark into an incubator of goodness, of kindness, of self of selflessness, and um, once they became the caretakers of the surviving animal life. They landed up becoming then the uh, progenitors of humanity that understood that the world in order to be healthy had to be you, uh, the human beings that had to be created had to be caring, they had to be unselfish, and that awareness um, was was inculcated into them as a um, as a repercussion of the world that was wiped out and left. Behind. So this is a primary lesson for us today When we do look upon the world And we see the corruption We see the robbery We see the dishonesty We see the disdain The, the, the lack of care The selfishness that, that, that humanity shows to each other And the way that we repair it Is that in our Dalit Amot In our sphere of influence We become a light We, we need to work on being selfless that we have concern for another human being, not only for their possessions, but for whom they are, for their emotional well-being, their psychological well-being, that we make sure that we never rob another human being of their dignity, because to not do that and allow the world uh, to remain in the state um, puts us in a very, very precarious um, and horrible situation, um, and we should really, really... Learn from the past. So here's wishing you a wonderful week, but a week that is filled with another act, another random act of goodness and of kindness, a smile, a, a helping hand, um, you know, just a focus on any and every human being that you come across and treating them with in, an, in a dignified manner, in a positive manner that will Flip the world, it will change the world and it will leave behind the ravages of those who are constantly trying to destroy it. Shavua have a wonderful week.